ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਸਿੰਘਾਮੀ ਪੋਡਕਾਸਟ ਟੁਡੇਜ਼ ਸ਼ੋ ਇਜ਼ ਗੋਇੰਗ ਟੂ ਬੀ ਅਬਾਊਟ ਅ ਵੈਰੀ ਇੰਪੋਰਟੈਂਟ ਇਸ਼ੂ ਵਿਚ ਇਜ਼ ਅਫੈਕਟਿੰਗ ਦ ਮੈਨ ਦ ਵਿਮਨ ਦ ਯੰਗ ਦ ਓਲਡ ਏਵਰੀਬੋਡੀ ਇਨ ਆਰ ਕਮਿਊਨਿਟੀ ਵਿਚ ਇਜ਼ ਮੈਂਟਲ ਹੈਲਥ ਵੀ ਹੈਵ ਵਿਦ ਅਸ ਟੁਡੇ ਬੀਬੀ ਦਰਸ਼ਨ ਕੌਰ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਪੈਂਜੀ ਜਸਟ ਟੈਲ ਅਸ ਲਿਟਲ ਬਿਟ ਅਬਾਊਟ ਯਰਸੈਲਫ ਯਰ ਬੈਕਗ੍ਰਾਉਂਡ and um your experience in this field yeah so um it's a pleasure to be here today to speak with you about this very important topic that often gets brushed under the carpet um so i'm a clinical psychologist by um training and um so i, I did my degree and then i did 3 years of further training uh where i studied at uh, UCL and then also did placements in the NHS that was for 3 years and then since then um i've worked in the nhs and now in my own private practice where i mostly work with punjabi and sikh clients um and so that's my professional background um in terms of a bit about me i'm a mom of two um i'm on the path of sikhi and um i use that a lot in my work increasingly because it's what clients resonate more with than the traditional kind of western models that i've actually been trained in so i've kind of yep. had to find my way with the clients i'm working with now Okay. So how long um how long have you been doing it working this as a profession as a job? How long how long has that yeah, been? So that's been just off the top of my head. Um all in all, so even prior to doing the doctorate I was working as a CBT therapist. So probably around like I would say 10 years in total, but since proper qualification, um it's been about kind of 5 6 years. Okay. Just off the top of my head. and you work majority like you said with with people in the community and uh, people from from similar background culture so you have a lot of um, prior knowledge on the family setup on um you know the kind of uh, expectations of individuals in this in in our community so if we start off with you know just m- mental health generally would you say it affects who the most males females um people who are not employed yet so under 18s who are in a edu- full-time education or post education who are going into work or pre-marriage post-marriage before kids after kids um towards the end you know after retirement which of those would you say is the most um would you most affected by mental health so you know in the general population we'll say maybe about one in three people struggle with anxiety and depression so that's across the board yeah the problem with the, stati- the statistics and the research is that is um mostly kind of caucasian people who are being recruited to these studies so we don't know that much about the punjabi and sikh community um and in the studies that we do have a lot of people don't come forward you know and are not don't haven't been to the gp and haven't had a diagnosis so it is a little bit kind of up in the air as to the stats but we know that women report into services more than men but that doesn't mean that men don't struggle as much as women it just means that when men show up less to services and they seek help less yep we know that suicide rates are a lot higher in males than they are in females and this the, the thinking that you know we think that that's because males really don't feel like they can access support and they see taking their own lives as the last resort and so you know our communities aren't really set up to support men with with 
when you say can't access the support yeah. can't access don't know the options they have or refuse to as they see it as a weakness yeah i think probably the the latter the seeing it as a weakness and yep. you guys can probably re resonate like that resonates with you yeah, of probably. course like of if course. you were struggling with something so you know when women and men have different ways of coping with their problems and they're conditioned in that way so oh, this is a bit stereotypical but typically women will do something called emotion focused coping which is that they will try and seek support through kind of talking and, and sharing with another person and um, kind of getting kind of validation through conversation but men typically do something called problem focused coping which is they want a solution and you know the way that services are set up as kind of uh, therapy services is mainly what's out there or medication um, but the therapy services men don't really engage with that as much I mean I don't know if you guys can resonate but like when girls get together they usually talk a lot yeah. and they share their feelings and they're like you know just talking about each other whatever they're doing <laughs> whatever they're doing yeah. um, you know we're, we're talking a lot yeah. and what, what happens when guys get together I'm I mean, just wondering is it different yeah, to we that? Don't, I, I don't think I've ever sat with a room full of guys and we've talked about our feelings <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so exactly and that's just and, but the fact is that we haven't taken that uh, kind of understanding into the way we work with, with men, mental sure. health problems or with people struggling right so if a man wants to seek help he has to go into a setting that's completely different to what he's used to doing and it feels just completely alien to the way that he usually solves his problems. So you've got the first hurdle there, which is that the thought of, uh, for a guy going into a room, talking about his feelings, like what could be more off-putting than that? Definitely, I mean, today I think I'll enjoy it because it will educate me. I don't have much education on this topic, this area at all. I don't know anyone really um, that's been really directly affected. So there's a lot that I can learn and so if some of my questions come across as ignorant they're not that I'm just literally trying to find answers and there'll be a lot of people who are in my position who don't know much about this this topic at all so yeah. if I just put a scenario out there whereas our fathers mothers and fathers okay but let's just put our fathers for, for now for for the sake of this conversation they came from India, they left their village back then in the 70s and 80s. A lot of people didn't leave their village, mm -hmm. so they left their village, they left their state. A lot of majority of people hadn't left their state. All men prior to their fight, flight to England had never been on a flight. Mm -hmm. They come to this country, they can't speak the language, mm -hmm. um, they're renting, they don't, ha they don't own any property they can't come straight into whereas we have today somebody comes from india they'll go straight with a relative they didn't have, they didn't really have those options so they come in they don't know the language they're working pretty much a few days after they've arrived and then they're getting married they're having kids and life's in full swing and i don't know if they had time to really connect with their emotional side if they had excuse the way I say this I don't know if they had time to be depressed they were so busy trying to provide trying to work um, and any bit of spare time you did have you know you got a social function you got a wedding you got something going on so really to sit down reflect and have a bit of me time I don't I can't think of my parents generation especially the ones who emigrated really having that and I don't see the the mental health issues in that generation as much as I see today so on looking from an outsider's uneducated opinion for myself mm. is life was harder then mm. 
but we have more problems now with mental health. That's a very um, interesting point you've raised. Um, so what you're saying is that really these those kind of generations were in survival mode, right? So they literally, their goal, their bar for their life was survival. Yeah. Or at the most, being able to support their family financially. Happiness wasn't on the agenda. Peace wasn't really on the agenda. But here we are in this society where we are constantly bombarded with media and marketing that makes us feel that we need to achieve happiness. So we've got this goal now, which is happiness. And I think that's there's there's an interesting first point, which is that so if we're not happy or we're struggling, we know there's a difference between where we're at and where we should be according to what the world is telling us. Back then, there wasn't so much you know of that social emphasis media on it, emphasis yeah. on happiness. It was yeah. just about getting through. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that there weren't mental health problems because, you know, who was, how would we know? You know, um, th there wasn't a label, there wasn't a system to deal with it. But what we saw were extremely high rates of alcoholism. So people drinking to ease their sorrows and pain. Um, and so they would get together after a long day's work and they would drink. Yeah, you know, definitely. There yeah. were probably very high rates of domestic violence. Yeah. Women wouldn't have come forth with that. So p people were really in a completely different headspace. They were, you know, there's this thing called Maslow's hierarchy, right? And it looks, I don't know if you've come across yeah, it, but it looks at the hierarchy of needs, mm. right? The bottom layer is like um, basic needs. You need to meet your basic needs. And then right at the top is self-actualization. So some people aren't even at the point where they have their basic needs. How can they even think about self-actualization, realizing themselves or experiencing happiness and peace is just not on the agenda. So now that is on the agenda and we're being bombarded with it constantly. And there's this interesting idea called the happiness trap which says that sometimes people struggle simply because they are it's the search for happiness that causes the struggle but how do we define that happiness because you're right people are on the pursuit of happiness but what i would probably through the sangat that i've had the people who have been blessed to me in my life for me it's more about being content mm. than being happy happiness isn't really a trigger word for me if I'm content mm. then all is well in my life mm. so what is the bar what is what what is happiness what is defined as happiness because mm. for some people being in a scenario where they're married they've got a successful job mm. um, they're you know they're, they're living in a nice house that is happiness mm. for some people pursuing their career um, you know being being a director in a company mm. um, that's that's happiness and they're willing to sacrifice other things like a family life especially women for that happiness and for some men they might be on a low paid job but they get to spend a lot more time with the family whereas our parents generation didn't really have that time mm. um, so he's happy so even if you're not on a low, if even if you're not on a low paid job you're on a good paid well paid job but you've got more time because mm. time is a massive commodity and you, so you've got enough money where you're not worrying but you've got a lot more time at home you're not working seven till seven in the foundry or in the factory so what is happiness and how do we define it i think you've got happiness and then you've also got something called peace of mind and i think the two things are different um you, i think people define happiness depending on what they've seen how they've seen other people define happiness or what how they've been conditioned to see happiness so let's say you grow up in a family and you know you're a young girl and your father is always working really hard all the time and is really invested in making a lot of money 
right? And he's he's con- con- always conditioning his children. If you make enough money, if you get educated, if you do this, you work day and night, this is happiness. This is the life that you want. So the child will go out into the world and with that modeling and say, for me, happiness is making a lot of money. And that's because that's the only model they've seen. Then they might come across some other Sangat or they might see other people. And they might see that actually, these people aren't defining happiness in terms of the things my parents were defining it as, like money, success in your career, whatever it is. But you know the moment that people really start questioning their definition of happiness is when they suffer. When you go into suffering and you experience dukkha, that's when you ask yourself, so what have I been experiencing all this time? Have I been experiencing happiness? Have I been experiencing peace of mind? What is happiness? What is peace of mind? Because when you're down in that place, you know when the person is, is thirsty for water, they're going to reach for it, they're going to search for it. But until you have that need, I, don't, I think people don't, we don't search, we don't have those questions in our mind. What is happiness? What is success? Is success happiness? Does it, if, if I do everything that I'm told to do, like get married, have a family, have a career, does that mean I'm happy? But people realize that's not the case because we have all of those things, yet we all suffer. All of us have been experienced a time in our life where we've felt down and we've felt lost and we felt like there's no hope and we've had to then reevaluate our whole life and say, well, what am I living for? What is my purpose? And you know, like these people show up at our services, at mental health services, you know, and they're given a label. So somebody comes in and says, I'm, I'm really questioning my purpose. I don't feel any pleasure. So these are the symptoms that they'll look at when you go into a service. Okay. No pleasure, loss of interest, um, down, uh, suicidal thinking, um, lack of purpose, th- those kinds of things, loss of appetite, all of that stuff. And, you know, oftentimes people are struggling with like an existential crisis at that point. They've been through something that's shattered their whole world, their whole beliefs about what is the right way to live or what's going to make them happy. And they're like, crap, I have no idea how to live my life now. And what we do is say, oh gosh, you've got a mental health problem now. So this is a biochemical issue that you have. You know, you know, we all go through difficult times and just in the same way you've got physical problems, you've got mental health problems. And, and then that person thinks, okay, so the way I'm feeling is not to do with this. Th- I don't need to find this purpose. You know, it's not an existential spiritual yeah you know, soul-searching thing. It's actually, I've got a, a mental health deficiency and I need to get the right treatment. And then what is the first treatment that's given? It's usually antidepressants. So then you believe that there's a biochemical imbalance and you need to have the medication to restore the balance and then you'll be fine. But what people realize when they're in the system is the fine never comes because the questions don't go away and the low mood gets dampened down a little bit, but inevitably they resurface. And then you have to take more and more medication. And just on that topic, where you've said it is the is the label because the generation of today mm. is very critical of their parents' generation, or they wanted to sweep things under the carpet. They didn't. There's no awareness about mental health. There's no awareness about all these kind of things. But like we've said, the objective of our parents was to see their kids settled and happy. That was happiness for them. Sure. Seeing their children settled, as is, is uh, their favourite terminology, is happiness for the parent. And they were fully aware that having a good job enhances your chances of finding a mm-hmm. successful partner and thus yeah. forward, you know, your, your successful family life. So they emphasised on education, which is understandable. And they also were fully aware that certain labels 
because we are a big community, but we are a small community as well, in a way, in the grand scheme of things in this yeah. country. So here in the UK, news can travel fast. So if your son or your daughter comes home and says, I feel depressed, and you advise them, okay, go see a doctor. The doctor says you're depressed. Yeah. She tells her friend, oh, my son's got daughter has got depression. They tell their friend. And then it it kind of spoils where everyone knows, okay, so this person's got depression. And then later on, where they're, unfortunately, where they're maybe trying to find a partner or something, that, then that might resurface. So all they were trying to do was safeguard their child. And people say, oh, they were too worried about BSD. I don't even think it is that. And some parents, yes, they were worried about BSD. I get that. But a lot of parents were like, you know, in the long term, this label will affect you. So we don't want you mm-hmm. to get that label just because we want to see you happy and successful in life and this might hinder it. So so I totally get that. Mm-hmm. But that's where I, I have a bit of sympathy for our parents' generation. But the other side where I think there was a massive lack of education is where where we have labels now, such as ADHD, we have anxiety, we have depression, we have uh, suicidal thoughts, and we have various other ones that I'm unaware of that exist. We simply said that that person was Siddha or Siddhi, you know, or Flana Flana or Amunda Siddhaya, Toraja. But, and it was such a broad label tag for, you know, which is, it's, it's not fair. To simply put it, it's not fair for, to cover that one word, to cover all of those things. It's, it's just not fair. And so where I have sympathy for our parents' generation is where they were trying to safeguard their children a little bit. But then on the other side, you know, some things like that, it's difficult to have sympathy for. There needs to be more education, definitely. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said, to be honest. Um, the first thing you were talking about around having sympathy, absolutely, like... Um, we, you know, whatever math we have at that time, we just want to do our best, right? And, you know, we're trying to, all of us are just finding our way through this life, right? We don't, we don't have necessarily all the answers. We're just, you know, and we all have a different, completely different life. Like some people will experience a great deal of different kinds of trauma, like, you know, um, might have multiple, I don't know, like, car accidents, um, life-threatening situations, you could have abuse growing up. There's so many traumas um, that could occur in, in one person's lifetime and another person's, you know, might be very different to that. So like, we're all kind of just doing our best. Um, and the sweeping under the carpet thing and, and trying to create a good life and to make sure that their family was set. So, you know, and we're talking the bottom layer of Maslow's hierarchy, yep. getting those basic needs met and, and you know, you know, as now a newer generation, we can rather than criticizing because that's not helpful, we can turn it on its head and just be really grateful for the position that we're in, which we don't have to worry so much about the basic needs, or what you know, or maybe we've been exposed to more different kinds of information and knowledge and wisdom, maybe that helps us to see that just those basic needs alone are not enough to guarantee happiness. Because you painted a bit of a rosy picture of you know, like those generations wanted their kids to just be settled and they were happy but happiness didn't come from that necessarily so let's say you spend your whole life educating your child what what happened so if we go back to that generation 
the home life probably wasn't that nurturing because people weren't aware of all this stuff around conscious parenting now. Sure. Um, and this is not to be negative, just reflecting on what it was like. Yep. And they pushed in education a lot. And what do we learn in education? We don't learn any life skills. We don't learn how to deal with emotions. We learn how to compete, achieve, use our intellect, um, which is great and, you know, very fortunate to have education. But when it comes to dealing with trauma and different stuff that comes up in everybody's life, we're not very well equipped. So these children come from a home where maybe there hasn't been much nurturing, then they go into the education system where they learn to compete and be the best and, and maybe exceed expectations and you know and then so where where does the life skills come where does the kind of wisdom of actually you can be highly educated you can have a family but you can still be unhappy because and then this is where i guess gurbani or any kind of spiritual path because there's so many spiritual paths out there yeah. that help us to see beyond the material world and that's why we're in such a fortunate position in our life where we kind of have the safety net of the material world. We have the basics that we need. And then it's like, okay, so what's more now? What, what next? Because, you know, those people who, you know, haven't had the opportunity to have some of that wisdom, um, there's probably lots of conflict because when we're not taking care of our minds, there's internal conflict, which then translates into conflict in our families, mm -hmm. which then com translates into conflict in our world. And you can see all the kinds of issues that are happening in our world at the moment. And literally, I, you know, I believe that they're all to do with the fact that we, our minds are asleep, that we don't take care of our minds and we don't give them the attention that we need to. And we do when we suffer a lot enough. Yeah. You know, and so suffering and mental health is just two sides of the coin. One is, oh gosh, somebody's got a mental health problem. There's, you know, it's terrible. It is, it's really difficult. Um, you know, I've had times, you know, where I've had sleepless nights because I've been anxious over something, or, you know, I, you know, and that's, it's really tough. Uh, on the other side, it could be the most kind of um, enhancing process you will ever go through because you kind of have to grow you will. Yeah, I get it. I you get kind it. of give yeah, up yeah, and yeah. you grow. And but talking yeah. on anxiety now, yeah. if I've got an exam tomorrow, if I've got a job interview tomorrow, if I'm, you know, if there's some young lads out there who are going to meet their father-in-law for the first time tomorrow, um, mm. if it could be any scenario, mm. you would be nervous. Some people handle nerves better than other people. Mm. Um, people who play sport, there's... You know, there's there's a lot of people, sports stars out there who have played thousands of competitions, football matches, for example, hundreds of football matches at an elite level, but they still get nervous before every fight, uh, before every match. And even people like Mike Tyson, who's world-renowned best boxer in history, he said before every fight, I'd be so nervous, I would just wish that the guy came in and said, oh, your fight's been cancelled, you can go home. Mm -hmm. And that's Mike Tyson. So the... The nervousness is, is something that everyone experiences. Mm -hmm. So what is the difference for somebody who isn't aware, like me, between someone being nervous and having anxiety? So there isn't actually a clear line, right? So the way we define like mental illness is that, or mental health, somebody suffering with mental health, is that it affects their ability to function in their day-to-day -day life. So if their anxiety means that they can't get up in the morning or they can't go to work or they can't engage When you with say their can't kids, get up, you mean 
not physically can't get up, but they're paralyzed by yeah. the fear yeah. and they're, they're just in such a deep uh, mental state where they're thinking so much they physically that they're, they're, they're yeah. not getting out of bed the mind and the body are so interconnected so you can't even disconnect the two so sometimes when you're paralyzed by that overthinking well it will have an impact on the body because you've because you've got like the vagus nerve which runs and connects the brain and the body and so if there's overthinking happening then that's going to filter through to the body and that's why you see that people who are struggling with like anxiety or depression for a long time will also have kind of sometimes have chronic diseases like digestive problems um, because thinking about anxiety you know you're saying it's very normal and natural for us to experience that you know many of us do yeah and that's to do with because we are our body has an alarm system and it's, it's very healthy to have some anxiety or some fear so you know if you're walking down the street at night and it's late and you hear a bang you want your body to react so you're like yeah. hang on a minute i need to be hyper vigilant right now focus on the source of threat i need to leg it or i need to deal with this threat right so our yeah. body gets us ready to do that so it's very with adrenaline with and adrenaline and yeah. cortisol and all yeah. of that but the problem with our society is that we have such fast paced lives that we're constantly living in anxiety mode it's called fight flight so we are our body because our body our, we don't know the difference our brain doesn't know the difference between what's really happening and what we're thinking is happening. So if we're perceiving some kind of threat, and back back in the day we would say threat as like a saber-toothed tiger coming to get you, or you know something really physical that you've really got to fight mm-hmm. or run away from. Yeah. But now the threats are worrying about money, um, you know, worrying about relationship with your wife, um, thinking about your career, what's going to happen. You know, all those things are all registered by the body in the same way. As if a saber-toothed tiger was coming to get you, yeah. and it creates that same that fear. yeah fear within the body. And then if you constantly on fight-flight mode day in day out, which many of us are, like our lifestyles are so hard, like nine to five jobs, back home looking after the kids, doing all X Y Z, whatever. We're constantly on the go. Then that that is not that that was not how our body was designed to function with all of that cortisol being pumped, and that's when we get chronic problems um, with our physical health. Um, so you were talking about the line between nervousness and anxiety and it's really there isn't a clear line it's really you know when you get to a point where you think actually this is affecting my quality of life just as an individual if you're introspecting and you're thinking okay sometimes I get anxious but I can deal with it like I can do some breathing I can take a hot shower I can I've got these techniques and I can manage but then you'll get to a point maybe or some people do where the overthinking mind won't switch off no matter what you do it's just it's getting too much so what i gather from that is the the overthinking stage so if i am if i have got an interview tomorrow and i'm really nervous i really need this job it's a big deal for me and i get the job it should alleviate slightly or if not all but then it's like okay when i get to work what am i going to wear am i going to know what i'm doing what if the manager don't like me what if i don't get on with my team and then you get into work you're good at your job and then your people around you do like you then it's like okay what if they sack me mm-hmm. what if this happens what if that happens and so it's the the never-ending overthinking mm-hmm. it's probably more towards anxiety from what i gather well what's funny is that many of us probably walk around with that same stream of thinking that you're describing okay. and they may not necessarily have a label or any symptoms of anxiety but they're probably suffering like it's painful walking around with that constant what's going to happen next or what is that person thinking of me or whatever it is that's going on and we all walk around with this many of us but is there a fine balance between so you know you get people who are really blasé lethargic 
oh I've got an interview tomorrow if I get it I get it for that I'm not really bothered and just who go through the whole life like that just really not being bothered mm. is, is there a fine balance between caring and wanting and um, knowing that this is good for you and having the nervousness for that and then not overthinking it is there is there a um um, I think that's a very uh, individual thing. So okay. I think it does just come back to your quality of life and how you feel within yourself. Um, so I don't think anybody external can make that judgment, really. Um, but it's just about, you know, can uh, how am I feeling within myself? And sometimes we don't get a chance to ask ourselves that question. Because I see, I see a lot of... Um, I see some things on me time. So concept of me time. Talk to us a little bit. What is that? What does it involve? What does it consist of? And and uh, where does it come from? So me time, I think maybe you're, that links into self-care. Yeah. And so, you know, there's this whole movement now around self-care and looking after ourselves and getting to know ourselves. There's, there's different, there's um, kind of different models of that, you know. One potentially is where you start to connect with yourself again because so you know like the person who is constantly in their mind and they're constantly thinking and thinking and thinking and and that becomes such an important part of their life and they almost believe that they are that mind that's thinking and they don't have that concept so this is getting a bit deep but they don't have that concept that actually they are not those thoughts that our mind is actually not those thoughts and those thoughts come and if we go into the realm of Sikhi um, Guru Sahib says that well those thoughts are actually within Maya the thoughts that we have and so you know um, there's getting a bit technical but there's three gunas of Maya right three qualities of Maya and the different qualities have a different flavor to them so you've got one where if your mind is within that quality then there's um, Asa, Bilasa, Trishna, Chinta, Fikr, kind of hopes and desires. And then the other one is Tamogun, which is where you have Gam, Krod, Lobo, Hagar, the Panch Jor. It's quite a fiery one. And then you've got Satogun, which is where you have Daya, Taram, Santok. Like you have all of those kind of humility, compassion, those soft qualities, right? But that still sits within Maya. When we're in thoughts, our mind is within Maya. And it's actually asleep within Maya. Hana, Dehi, Guni, Sansar. Param Sutta, like our mind sleeps, it comes into this body every day and um, it, it falls asleep within Maya in those thoughts. And so when we walk around with those thoughts, we believe ourselves to be those thoughts and we don't realize that we are something more than that. And so if we really want to heal ourselves and we really feel a thirst and a pain and a suffering, then we will, we will think, well, how can we even rise above all the thoughts? So I think at the moment we've been talking about, okay, like anxiety is normal, we all feel a sense of that, but we don't have to. If we rise above Maya, and that's when our mind comes out of those three qualities. So one method that Gurbani gives us, and lots of other spiritual paths also talk about meditation. And when we do Simran, but when we attach our Surti to the sound of the Shabbat, you know, so if, like I give just a quick example, why? Guru, why, Guru, why, Guru. When our surti is fully attached to that sound and we're not having thoughts, we come out of Maya. 
And in that place, there is no anxiety, there is no depression, there is no sadness, there is no dukh. It's just sukh because when we practice that and we practice it, then our mind starts to sit within its home, its nijgar. And then nijgar mehel pavo sukh sehji bor that's where it experiences true peace so now we're talking about really like above all of this which is what the benefit of the path of Sikhi and lots of other spiritual paths give us which is that we can actually rise above those anxieties and, and it's true what Guru Sahib says simar yeah. simar simar sukhbavo, right? and it's only when you experience that peace in that moment that your surti connects and there's no thoughts it's, it's, it's peace, it's bliss and that is if we, if we practice again and again and we sit within our nijgar and we experience peace, um, you know, that, that is like, and that is the, and then, then that's the stepping stone towards, and this is theoretical because I haven't experienced this, but this is when you actually build a relationship with God, when you start to hear God's voice um, and you start to, then you see God, you know, Guru Sahib actually talks about mm, that, Hana? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, so this, the path of Sikhi kind of just, to, takes our surti above all of this and then, I, yeah. I think that's probably one of the most powerful things I've ever heard in my life we are not what our thoughts are mm. we're not that person what our thoughts are mm. and I've, I've never heard it before and it's really resonated and I really I find that so powerful and so strong but I just want to bring you in here and just to ask you one question and you're somebody who's gone through some of the things that have been talked about today with um, anxiety and depression. Um, you've had experience with it, and you said you said one thing to me, and I know you personally. You said you understand, but you don't have empathy for it, and you said that to me. Um, so. I just wanted you to touch on that. So a lot of people will be like me, where we understand, yeah. and you said we don't have empathy. Um, so just tell us a little bit about what you meant by that. Okay. So I think there's a massive difference between understanding and empathy. Um, understanding someone is, it's just like telling them, yeah, like, okay, I'll get it. Everything's going to be okay. Or they'll try and give you like, advice and but empathy is truly to listen to someone speak and tell them you know like i'm sorry that you feel that way and there's there's such a big difference because people get it mixed up a lot and they think so sometimes understanding someone isn't necessarily enough someone needs empathy and when they're not getting empathy it 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 can well in my own personal experience it can make you feel worse because you feel like you're speaking to someone but they're not listening to you and they're not truly understanding what you were trying to say or you know when you even when you need to hear something and you're not hearing it it's it can it sends you on a downward spiral um and i think that with empathy i guess it's due to how everyone's been brought up um you know everyone's different but i think it's a basic basic human necessity that people need to have because you know the world's on fire and you need people to to empathize with you to put it simply and i suppose based on what you've just told me that would be probably every majority of kids 
or young people aged between 15 and 25 and their parents generation i would say a lot of their parents probably in that generation uh, in that bracket where is what you describe they understand but they don't have empathy for it yeah so i i, I fully i i see what you i see i understand more now what you're saying yeah so in what ways can people help so what is, you said there people don't say the things that you need to hear sometimes yeah. so if there is a young person or if there is a parent listening to this who have got children who may go through this and um, what kind of things do you feel if your parents said um, would, would help the best thing that I could think of personally is if my parents sat down with me asked me questions you know if they didn't understand something ask me something ask me a question and I'll try to explain it the best I can um, and truly listen without and think without you know just shooting the gun and just giving good advice on what they think is the best thing to say um, because they're obviously speaking from their own experiences their own way of life and they're projecting their own thoughts onto you whereas you're a completely different identity and you don't what they say may not resonate with you which is most of the time if you are going through a mental illness um, I, th I feel like a lot of people do suffer that way with their parents um, me personally I am unable to speak to my parents um, and it's it's hard um, I feel like I've been lacking in that area um, where I need the family support but I'm unable to get it um, and I don't entirely blame them as well um, you know with my dad he's working all the time um, and with, like my family they've been through a lot so I understand that you know everyone's everyone's dealing with something and they're unable to sometimes say what you need to hear um, and I've been guilty of it too because it can be the same cases like you know my mom's going through something and I don't show her empathy um, but it's um it's, it's tough, you know, when you don't have it in your own household um, because then you're going to go out to the world and look for it there and that can lead to a lot more pain. Of course, of course. And, and another thing that uh, you said to me when we were having a conversation about this, you told me you had spoken to another person who'd gone through something similar, yeah. who is going through something similar at that time when you were going through it. Yeah. And I said, surely that wouldn't help. So if I just take this scenario and put it in a different scenario yeah if one gambling addict speaks to another gambling addict and they're both addicts at the same time yeah i can't see how that addict would help the other addict because they're in the same boat somebody who's gone through that then could maybe help that person yeah um but you said no you you can still find a lot in speaking to somebody else who's going through it at the same time yeah whereas i couldn't understand that concept because i thought surely that person hasn't got out of it yet. Yeah. So how can that person help you? Again, I think that comes down to, um, as we were speaking before, about empathy. I believe going through certain situations yourself, it can enable you to empathise. It can help you. And you, me personally, I feel like uh, going through what I have gone through, I, I want to help people. I don't want someone to feel the same way that I feel and if I know someone does feel the same way I will drop everything and 
you know, I will try and be there for them the best I can. And in the way where I know what I wouldn't want someone to say to me, what advice I would want to not want someone to give me, I would avoid all that and, you know, simply be a listening ear um, and empathise with them, like, to let them know that, you know, like, I'm going through something also, but it doesn't mean that we're going to be here forever. And, you know, the advice that I've been given, good advice, I would share it. Um, I don't I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Um, if you're going through something to help someone else that's also going through something. In fact, I guess it can help you in a way as well. Helping someone else, you, you don't know what benefits is doing for yourself. So, um, you know, I would never turn my back on anyone that's going through anything. And you've you've gone through um, you've gone through some forms of depression and you've gone through some forms of anxiety. Yes. And just so myself and people listening understand, do they happen separately at the same time? Is one stronger than the other, um, or how how does it work? How do they both work? Um, do you go through one, then the other one kicks in? Like I said, or is it at the same time? Is yeah. So, from the very beginning, I started suffering from depression first, um, and that's what I learned about first. Um, and then a few years after that, I started having like panic attacks. I, was, you know, loss of breathing. I started worrying extra. Which are symptoms of anxiety. Yeah, and um, so you know, then I started to learn about anxiety as well. So obviously, growing up, I knew nothing about depression or anxiety. Um, so. They, they 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 do they start off as separate feelings but when you've been feeling those emotions for so long it all becomes one you know you wake up straight away and you're not hit separately it's you hit in one go by everything um so you know you'll be overthinking you'll be sad at the same time it all it all goes hand in hand um sometimes i guess with some other people it may not be the case but personally speaking it, it they go hand in hand for, for me and they fuel each other um, so it's like one can't live without the other. Um, so, you know, they use each other to survive and yeah, in consequence, they bring me down. So, okay. And um, Benji, there's, there's an expectancy. We're a very successful community, but every single person born in our community is expected to carry on that success. So if I look at it in the sense of male, female, they may or may not have completed their studies between 30 and 35. Um, a lot of negativity enters their life where the family is saying, you haven't got any kids. Um, you've wasted your life effectively is the, um, the mentality we have with that. And then that person can feel, if that person's got a good job, they can say, okay, it's okay, I'll pursue my career a little bit. They can, you know, but that person may not have a good job. That person um, maybe not have done the things that they were expected to do. And they reach this age of between 30, 35, and they do hear a lot of neg negative stuff. And I've been guilty of it before, where I've said it to people like, oh, what you, you know, what, what are you doing? And what are you doing with your life is basically the question oh so so what, what are you doing now basically it means what what are you doing with your life mm -hmm. and i you don't you don't when you're not when you're not educated on you don't realize 
you don't realize that, um, what you're asking and questioning someone's life. What have you done for your whole life? But it's something that is just such a such a casual thing to say to someone. Also, also what you do now when they're, you know, between 30, 30 plus, let's just say 30 to 40. So that person who may feel that negativity mm. from people because they've chose not to pursue a family life. They may chose not to uh, follow a, a super career in, in whatever what advice would you have for that person if they enter negative thoughts based on what not even people don't even have to say to them they just know what's expected of them so they feel they feel the negativity or people may say it to them, their parents people outside their house their thai chacha mama who comes around thai who comes around every so often if they're feeling negative thoughts of this pressure of what's expected of them what advice would you give to them i would say that um you know, you know, many of us do struggle with other people's expectations, and sometimes we inter we internalize those expectations ourselves as well. So not only do we have pressure from the external, we have pressure from ourselves. So, you know, the, there's I guess what I would say is that we've we've got to, um, and again, this is not a skill that we're ever taught, is to really almost build like a force field around us, and that's not to not let anybody in. But to be able to be so kind of um, at a point with your kind of relationship to your mind and yourself where you can be in a place where people are saying things about you or you feel an expectation, but you can actually just allow that to be and not be absorbed by yourself. So it's really tough. That's a hard thing to it's do. It's very tough. Yeah. But literally, this is the place where we all need to get to and can get to. Like, you know what, this, the, the biggest belief, which is, I don't believe is a truth, is that our situation creates our feeling, right? So we believe that, like, if I say to you, Baji, you know, like, your dasta is really messy today. Yeah, like, if I say that to you, it's not. Which, it, which, it, which it is today. <laughs> which it is today. So yeah. if I say that to you, Hannah, and you, you have a choice, well, you may not feel like you have a choice, you know, well, how, how do you feel? Like, I'm a person that reacts very... I, I do react emotionally in the sense of not where I'm going to cry, but um, I do take things to heart. I do take things personally. That's the nature of the person that I am. Obviously, I know in this scenario, you know, you're joking, um, yeah. but it, it could be it could be another scenario. I where think I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but it could be another scenario. I do. I, the, the kind of person that I am, I do take things personally. Hmm. So let's say that you know I've said this to you, and I mean it in honesty, or you believe I do, and would you say it's quite normal for somebody to feel offended and to feel a bit hurt that somebody said that yeah you know? i think depending on everyone's threshold i think if someone was to say to me yeah. something offensive then I, I, if someone was to say to someone that i found offensive yeah i would take offense and i would think about it after even after they've said it or even after they've apologized i would think about it why did that person say it to me yeah and you might go to your friend and say you know like this girl she said this to me about my dastard yeah be like oh god you must feel so annoyed about that. <laughs> yeah. you know this is a little example yeah. but what if we said something a bit more yeah personal to you you know you'd go to your friends they might say gosh you know it's understandable you're feeling like this yeah. of course and they kind of give fuel to the fire and then you're like you know what i'm justified for feeling like this you know she said this to me so this is how i feel but what this is a, a myth that we've bought into and it disempowers us which is that so, so let, let's just let's just yeah. bring it bring it into okay. reality right. you say to me you know what you're a poor father you're a rubbish okay. dad 
if you say that to me yeah and um then you know before you leave you like oh i didn't mean it like that i'm just saying yeah. other dads do this x y and z um and then your husband said you shouldn't mean it like that it's okay and you know you, but I would still, I would go and say, I definitely would the next day say to people, this is what she said to me. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> she said this do, and I would get yeah. I, I would get offended and yeah. I would feel the need to say that, you know what, this person, this is what they said to me. So what is it that caused that experience in you? Was it what I said? Was I the cause of your feeling or your reaction? My reaction and probably my own... Um, thinking my own thinking overthinking my own overthinking okay. insecurity as well maybe well yeah so what basically like you know we, we would all probably say it's quite natural for you to feel offended if somebody offends you but like I was saying what if it's not what if we have a choice in how we respond and react now this sounds very like oh well it's easy for you to say that right but like this is something I actively practice and this is what I encourage my clients to practice as well which is you know when somebody says something or even think something, right? Because it's all energy. It comes into this kali kalahi, this space, yep. right? And you literally have a choice as to whether you take it or not. And you don't feel we don't feel like we have a choice because we've bought into this idea that we don't have a choice, that it's automatic situation, feeling. But what comes in between is the way we process that, right? So we might somebody might say something, and if somebody says something to me, I've had I have to I've been trying to train my mind to say what somebody says of me is a reflection of them not me it's their stuff that they are bringing into my energy field and I have a choice as to whether I take it in and become colored with that or whether I allow it to just be in this kalikala and I walk away with myself intact now that takes a lot of practice and mental discipline and this is literally the kind of work we need to be doing on ourselves and the other thing is that when we carry something within us you know, like, imagine like you, you're walking ar around, you know, your house or something, or you're, you're going to a party or a function and something spills on your on your dress or mm -hmm. your clothes. What would you do? You Would you just be like, oh, it doesn't matter, it's a stain. Or would you just try and quickly wash it? Yeah, try and get it off. Yeah, try and get and it every off. time something spills, you wash it, you wash it, right? But what happens with us is with the thoughts and the stuff that we absorb, we keep it within us, we hold it within us. We can't, we don't cleanse it. It just literally stays and sticks. And then we have this, like, this whole, like, timeline. You know, we know, like, if I say to you, you know, tell me something that somebody said 10 years ago to me, you'd be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I, me, would, I would, I would, I would. Even me. So we keep this, we don't, in the same way that we, we're so keen to make sure we cleanse our bodies. You know, every day we make ourselves you're clean, have showers multiple times a day, we clean our stains. In the same you know, in the same way, we've got to learn how to cleanse our minds because otherwise we hold on to and we carry along with us all of this. And the reason why we carry along is because of that, that myth, myth that we brought into, that somebody else is to cause and is, has, is to blame for this. And as long as somebody else is to blame, I have to wait for somebody else to apologise in order for me to be relieved of that but how many times are you going to ask of somebody course. to and and how you know who's going to be able to so you're in this conundrum where you either you either have that experience you blame the other person by which you then hold on to that and you hold on to it for years and years and then you know it comes to a point where like literally we've got so much in us and this isn't just from this lifetime even from past lifetimes we've got all of this janam janam ki isko malalagi like from lifetimes, lifetimes, we've got all of this mal, the thoughts, 
I've built up the conditioning, the experiences, and and then the result of that is we then we the anxiety, the depression, and the low mood. I'm not saying that the person. I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying you're to blame. Um, this message is is trying to be um, trying to be empowering. Like you actually have, you can take some action, and it's it's really tough. You need to go through the stages, like the other Baji was saying, where you you need somebody to hear your pain. You know, you want somebody to be empathic and be there and listen, and somebody can only do that if they have those qualities within them. And you want to go through that process, but when it comes to like realizing, you know, that you have some power, you that this is when you start to like, okay, you have to you make a decision about right. I'm not gonna. I need to develop some techniques to enable myself to not hold on to, and to be cleansing it's, constantly. Yeah, it's, it's it's a very 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 important tool and. If I probably heard that earlier and going forward now, it's something that I'll, I will try my utmost to try and up implement in my life. And like you said, if somebody says something highly offensive, mm. you know, it, it, it may take time to develop that. And how do you forgive, buddy? Like, we talked about cleansing. Yeah. So how does one actually cleanse? Like, how would you go about doing that? So we've talked about it. So how would it, like, you know, what are your thoughts? Cause... I mean, to, to forgive is... In that scenario is to probably if I was or I wasn't try and be a better dad if you said that to me is, is one way of doing it um, another way is to try and maybe seek justification of another person so if I say to somebody this person said this and that person says no 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 that's not true you're not like that and then I would probably find comfort in that and then you know Another way is if later on down the line, you were to come back to me and apologise and say, you know what, I've now realised, and even if I thought that at the time, mm. I've now realised that isn't like that. But that third one you rarely get because mm. our older generations, they say things normally off the cuff mm. and they're not going to apologise for it. It's yeah. the way they are, which is, yeah. you know, so they're not going to come, you know, your Siane Bajorki in your family, you're not going to come up to you or ring you and say, oh, I want to apologise for the other day, mm. uh, you know, when I said this. And um, so that third one is is kind of rare. I think that's really helpful. Can I share a couple of things that might help listeners? Yeah, that I mean, has helped me a lot. Of course, as well around cleansing. You know, one is you know, um, you know, we hear in Gurbani all the time, Mantu Jyot Sarupa, like we're all the embodiment of Vaigru, right? If we can like embed within our minds that kind of mantra, you know, and somebody comes up to us, that sometimes happens with my husband, right? I mean, he's he's amazing, bless him. But like, obviously, we wind each other up because as do couples generally, yeah. Yeah. Um. Or I hope I hope everybody else does, <laughs> not just me. But so my husband will say something, and I'll be like, oh, whatever, and whatever will happen internally, and then I will have to find a way of dealing with with that internal kind of struggle that I end up having, and um, one way of sorry, I've lost my train of thought. Um, one way of of cleansing is to in that moment, when you become aware of that self-talk, oh, he's such a this and that, oh, why does he have to do this, I hate, whatever, whatever yeah. comes up, replacing that, and this sounds really simple, but try it, like literally, mm. the next time somebody wrongs you, yeah. in your mind, in your mind, you say, he is he is a pure and, he, he's the embodiment of Vaigru, he is a pure and perfect soul, he is, you know, that that is it, and, and just saying that will change your entire energy, you know, and um, 
The other thing is that we have to get into the habit of learning how to cleanse our mind. And some people think meditation is a really helpful tool, but we have to give time to that. So obviously we do like read Good Barney and we do some when we go to programs, but the real cleansing happens when we draw our surti and we, we kind of are able to connect with the ton of the, of the Gurmantar and the thoughts then just, they're around, but they kind of just, they almost like they dissolve. Mm-hmm. And that's a cleansing process that we've got to get to habit to. And then when we're able to, to do that, then in the daytime, when something comes our way and it affects us and we're thinking about it, we already have that ability to come away from that thinking because we've practiced it in the morning for 15 minutes. Yep. And so we, de- we actually develop a layer on top of our frontal lobe. It's a part of our brain that's to do with um, like re- managing our attention and dealing with our emotions. And people who meditate, they've done studies and they've shown that the people who meditate have a thicker frontal lobe. So literally they're able to go through life in, in a completely different way. They're able to move their dhyan and attention wherever they want. So somebody says something, they can move their dhyan. And literally they can, it sounds very yeah, simple yeah. and easy, but it takes a lot of practice. And that's what, what the point I want to emphasize is that as much care as we take of our physical well-being, you know, if we sit for too long, we don't eat the right foods, we don't do exercise, our bodies are gone. Of course. But yeah. we sometimes, um, we haven't been really taught to think about that think about no, minds in that way no it's an amazing uh, piece of the voice and just i think today has been such a such an amazing podcast simply for the amount of knowledge that you've brought to us benji and the things that especially like i said at the start of the show i'm ignorant to these things i don't know i'm uneducated on these things and to bring attention and um raise awareness on the issues and then give solutions is so important and if people do want to find you after this podcast where where can they find you at so there's two places i work for an organization called sick your mind which is good for people to um, become aware of we're on instagram so it's literally at sick your mind and we're a mental health charity and we have mostly sick therapists and counselors working with us and there's a lot of our content on instagram so you can reach us there and my personal account is at dr darshan and i'm on facebook and instagram and you can find a website and get in touch by any of those methods thank you very much and Baji, uh, Benji to both of you it takes a lot to come on and talk about your own experiences um, for the benefit of others so from the bottom of my heart and to everyone, from everyone listening I'd like to thank you so much and I'm sure as we go on this podcast will be one of the one of the ones where people will listen to again and again and reflect because the amount of advice that is on here sorry Baji I just want to say for all the listeners and viewers um if you are going through something and you know i know it comes with horrible feelings of you know feeling worthless like you've got no purpose in life and you know you can feel really really down but the one thing that gets me through um those emotions is is my sikhi and you know sikhi is not given easily at all um to be born as a sikh in this life it's like winning the lottery um maharaj wouldn't you know give you this opportunity if you didn't do something very good to deserve it and you know whether whatever stage you are at in your sikhi um what i would say is that you know this this is the lifetime to achieve ultimate happiness and that can only happen through sikhi and maharaj and you know you just gotta have faith and just know that you are you are important and you've been chosen to be a sikh um so you know just go with that Thank you very much, Baji, and to both of our guests today, Bibi Darshan Kaur and Baji. Um, thank you from all of us here at Singh Army. Why Guruji Ka Khalsa? Why Guruji Ki Fateh?